talking on labor pains today. I um, want to give you guys some quick announcements about things coming up. Um, Camp Yeshua is uh, now open. So uh, for those of you who have youth, friends who have youth, looking to uh, come have a, have a nice week of fellowship uh, here in Anadarko, which is about an hour away roughly, uh, the registration for Camp Yeshua is open. I believe as of yesterday, I think we had like 267 uh, out of 325. So um, pretty unusual to sell out a youth camp within like a week of basically opening up the registration, but the Lord is good. It's a fantastic time. I've been here uh, at Camp Yeshua leading worship since 2008, I believe, uh, when Ephraim took over as the camp director. Uh, and it's one of the highlights of my year. Uh, we got kids who come from all over the world, Australia, New Zealand, Canada, um, Panama, Costa Rica, whatever. And it's, it's a fantastic week of, of study, fellowship, and uh, even at the age of 36 years old, it's a highlight for me. So if you have youth who would like to attend, it's, uh, it's the ages of 14 to 18. Um, you know, you can go on to CampYeshua.com. You can register for that. Uh, if you need any financial assistance for that, there is financial assistance for, uh, for the teenagers as well. Um, but it's an amazing time. Uh, really is. Uh, I can't speak highly enough of the camp and what kind of experience it is. Uh, coming up on February the 16th, Yosef uh, Rami Danieli, a uh, Israeli Messianic Jew. Um, I believe he lives in Lebanon right now, uh, or on the border somewhere there in, uh, in Israel, and he's going to be in the States. Uh, he was also a Messianic rabbi of a congregation in the Dallas-Fort Worth area um, back a couple years ago. So he'll be here on the 16th uh, from the Holy Land. He'll be our guest speaker that week. So I'm really excited. I've never heard him speak, but a couple of the uh, congregants have actually were uh, uh, members of his congregation at one point in time, speak very highly of him uh, as an individual. So I'm, we're really excited to have him on the 16th for a special Shabbat. Um, uh, big thing about HFF, uh, for those of you who are new, is we like to do outreaches. Um, coat drives, uh, soup kitchens, uh, Grace Living Center. Uh, we believe that one of the greatest importance of what we can do in our faith is to show that through walking it out and helping other people. Uh, Stephen and his wife, Leisha, spearhead all of our, uh, uh, all of our outreach opportunities. And so if you, uh, if you know somebody in need, you know an area that needs some, some help, some volunteers, work days, whatever, uh, go ahead, get with Stephen and Leisha, and we'll try to get something scheduled uh, to be able to get back to the community. Um, that's something that we believe if we get back to the community, the Lord continues to bless us and move us forward. And so um, anything, they don't have to be messianic. Anybody, they don't even have to be believers. You know, our goal is to be a light of Yeshua in the community. And so if you know somebody who needs help, you know an area that needs help, go ahead and get with Stephen and Leisha. We'll try to get something set up and put together. Um, I want to encourage you guys. Uh, we have prayer every single Shabbat in the glass room uh, before for service. And so they start about 9.45 in the morning, and they go through uh, about 10.15, 10.20, sometimes even up to the start of the service, depending upon what, what the Holy Spirit's doing, what, what, what kind of prayer requests are in need in the community. And so I want to encourage you guys um, to come and join with that. If you need prayer, I want to encourage you to come and allow the group of uh, that come to pray with you. Uh, we've seen the Lord do some really amazing things in this community uh, when, when we get together in prayer. And so there's an awful lot of power there. So uh, 
that starts at 9.45 every Shabbat. Would like to uh, encourage you to come be a part of that. Men, uh, we have a men's prayer breakfast. In the bulletin, it says January 20th. I think last week it had a different date. We had to move it uh, back one weekend. But um, on Saturday mornings, I want to encourage you guys, Sunday mornings, excuse me, um, when we get, do this, it's a great time. The guys get together, they cook breakfast, uh, they talk about what's going on in the world, they talk about what's going on in their life, and then they pray together. And uh, it's a powerful time to come together and have that fellowship. So I want to encourage you guys uh, to come and join with that. Uh, uh, that's on the 20th of January at Monte Judas House, and the information on that is in the bulletin. Um, Bible study with the Frickers home on Thursday night. Roxanne is here, and Brian's still out uh, greeting everybody with a nice warm smile. But they're going through the uh, Second Timothy right now on Thursday nights. They're right here on the line of Moore and Norman. Uh, have a nice little small group that gets together and study the Word. want to encourage you guys to come out to that, be a part of that. And then our New Life uh, uh, marriage group that meets, uh, meeting at the Koldoff's house uh, next Saturday. So if you're married, I um, want to encourage you to uh, come and join them. They're, they're doing scavenger hunts and all kinds of fun things uh, as a marriage group, um, really kind of keeping that bond going together. So I want to encourage you guys for that. Um, for those of you who are new, we're a family fellowship. And so uh, we don't really separate the kids. Every once in a while, we'll have a kids class for them to go during the main teaching. But we welcome the families to be a part of the service. We want them to engage in worship and in the study with us. And so um, that may be a little bit different than what you're used to, but that is definitely something that we, we really encourage here. We believe that, you know, grandparents and parents and kids should all be together in the study of the Lord. And so let's go before we get uh, started today and let's stand up. Let's find somebody that maybe we haven't met before. Let's say a good hearty Shabbat Shalom. Welcome them here and we're going to go ahead and start off the service with some praise and worship today. He is high in the air. 
Shabbat, Father, on this set-apart time, we cry, holy, kadosh, kadosh, laka. There is none like you, Father, in all the earth. How majestic is your name. Lord, we just lift you high in this place, and we thank you for everything that you are doing, everything that you have done and that you will done. Lord, you, you are the author of all things. You are making all things new in every season, Father, and we just praise you. Father, we lift our voices to you today. We lift our hearts, our minds to you to give you praise and to give you glory. Time is in his hand. 
Sing with me how great is our God And all will see how great How great is our God How great is our God Sing with me how great is our God And all will see how great How great is our There's nothing worth more that will never come close. Nothing can compare. There are living no more. Your presence, Lord. I've tasted and seen of the sweetness of love Where the heart becomes free In my chains I've come undone In your presence, Lord what our hearts long for to be overcome by your presence Lord by your presence Lord there's nothing that will never come close No thing can compare You're our living no Your presence, Lord I've tasted and seen of the sweetest of love Where my heart becomes free And my shame is undone 
by your prayers at door. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. Your glory, God, is what our hearts long for. To be overcome by your presence, Lord. By your presence, Lord. By your presence, Lord. By your presence, Lord. Let us become more aware of your presence. Let us experience the glory of your goodness. Let us become more aware of your presence. Let us experience the glory of your goodness. Let us become more aware of your presence. Let us experience the glory of your goodness. Let us become more aware of your presence. Let us experience the glory of your Of your presence, let us experience the glory of your goodness. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place and the atmosphere. Your glory, God, is what our hearts long for. To be overcome by your presence, Lord. By your presence, Lord. By your presence, Lord. By your presence, Lord.
Lord, you are great, you are high, you are above all things. El Gabor, the mighty God, El Elyon, El Shaddai, the mighty warrior, the one who goes before us. 
Father, you are holy, you are mighty. And Father, we just lift your name higher than any other. Father, may our offering of praise be acceptable in your sight. May it rise like a sweet aroma and incense to your nostrils. Father, prepare our hearts, prepare our minds, and refill our cup, Father. Teach us your ways, Father, and teach us how to love like you have loved us. May we be overflowing with grace and compassion for our brothers and sisters, the way that you show mercy and kindness to all of us. Adonai Elohim, thank you. There are no adequate words for us to express just how great you are. But we are a blessed people, Father. We are blessed that you have given us your word. We are blessed that you have given us your son. And we are blessed that you have poured out your Holy Spirit upon us. Father, may we never take for granted the gifts that you have given us. And may we use the gifts and the talents that you have given and instilled in each one of us to give it back to you. O King, Helper, Savior, and Shield, blessed be your name, whose kingdom is forever and ever. In the name of Yeshua, the Messiah, we come before you on this day. Amen. How great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Am I right? What a, what a great time of praise this morning. Thank you, Chris. And he is right. There are not enough words to express how great he is. This is a time when we are going to spend as a, as a fellowship praying for one another. So I'm going to share some things, some prayer needs with you, and then I'm going to leave it to you to pray for these things. Joyce Moreno, who's here this morning, uh, has had some heart issues, and uh, what the doctors have decided is that they're going to put her on the heart transplant list. So we need to be praying that God will provide what he needs, what she needs at this time. And if it's a new heart, it's a new heart, okay? Uh, we, we can always pray that God will, he is the great physician, that he'll just take care of it himself. But if not, let's pray that God will provide her with the heart that she needs and fix the problem. Liz Smith had rotator cup surgery this past week, and so we need to pray for her and her recovery. Uh, if you've ever had rotator cup surgery, you know that that is hard to heal from, and it takes a while to recover from that kind of surgery, so we need to pray for Liz. And we need to remember Libby, uh, who is expecting this week, so we need to be praying, praying for her, uh, for the doctors, for the baby, that everything will come out fine, no pun intended there. 
Anyway, that's just the way it came out. No pun intended again. Anyway, <laughs> okay, so we need to just pray for Libby. It's a good thing we can laugh about, uh, laugh, isn't it? Yeah, all right. Uh, and we, Corey has had her surgery rescheduled for the 4th of February, I understand. So we need to be praying for her and, uh, and that everything will go well with her surgery. It's still a little ways away, but we can still pray for that. Uh, praise God, uh, Monty is doing okay. You know, he had some, he's had some issues with his blood pressure, and uh, he, they put him on some new medication, which didn't go well. So, <laughs> so they're trying to work out what's the best medication to give him. So we need to be praying for the doctors for wisdom, that they will put him on the right medication for his blood pressure, and that his blood pressure will will be where it's supposed to be. So we need to remember Monty. Uh, Danny and Verna. Uh, Verna's still having issues with uh, her vertebrae. She's got three cracked vertebrae in her back, and so we need to be praying for her. Uh, there are at times the pain is really severe, so we need to pray for her and for, again, for wisdom for the doctors and knowing what to do. And, and if nothing else, for the Lord to heal that. And Danny found out this past week that he has a bladder hernia. I've never heard of that. He hasn't either. So we need to be praying for him. His knee surgery has been postponed as a result. And so we need to pray for Danny. Uh, and that, that that will be uh, taken care of correctly. And then he can have his knee surgery. And Marilyn Johnson... Uh, has just learned that she's in the early stages of Alzheimer's disease. And so we need to be praying for Marilyn, that, uh, that God will intervene there in her life. Okay? Uh, I'm sure I probably missed something, um, but there's a lot there to pray for. And don't forget to pray for Ephraim and Daniel as they bring the messages this morning. And, and, uh, and pray for each other. Uh, while you're doing this, if, even if you don't know the person to your left or your right, if you don't know what else to pray for and you're finished praying, pray for them. For whatever, that God will bless them, that he'll give them a marvelous day today, whatever, whatever that God puts on your heart. But we, can, we certainly need to be praying for one another. So I'm going to turn it over to you and let you pray, and then I'll close this in a few minutes.
Father, what a privilege it is to come before your throne and to lift one another up before you. We acknowledge that you are truly great and you are the great physician. And all these requests that we've brought to you this morning are very easy for you to fix. So we come before you this morning asking that your will be done in each of these lives. We thank you for the surgeries that have been have gone well for Patrice and for the surgery that she had on her knee and how well it's, she's doing. For Verna's daughter Janice and the back surgery that she had and how successful that was. So we look to those and we thank you and acknowledge that your hand was there in the middle of that surgery, guiding the doctors and the nurses. And we ask that you would do the same for those others that we've prayed for today. We pray for those that we love that don't know you and ask that you would through your Holy Spirit. Give us the right words to say to them that we might be that light in their lives that brings them to the knowledge of who you are. We lift the rest of this service to you. Ask that you would bless it. <clears throat> and we ask that it would be a blessing to you. We come before you this morning totally unworthy to be here. There is nothing in any of us that makes us worthy to come before you. That we thank you that you have stepped into our lives through your son and have changed that so that we can come before you. Thank you for your son, for his sacrifice. We pray for Ephraim and Daniel as they come this morning to speak to us the words that you put on their hearts. So again, we just commit this time to you. And we ask that all that we say and do might be pleasing in your sight. And we ask this in Yeshua's name. Amen. If I can have all the children come up. All right, do we get everybody? Looks like, looks like we do. Okay. Oh, dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for this Sabbath day, Father. And uh, within that blessing, Father, there's multiple blessings. And we, we just look to this right now, Father, and that's our children. Thank you so much, Father. I'm, I'm personally blessed every morning, Father. 
that uh, Shabbat in particular, Father, when our kids just run into our bedroom and they want to play and they want to have fun, Father, thank you for that heart that we get to see in them. Thank you that you give us a Sabbath where we can slow down enough to really notice that and take note of that, that you want us to be the same way, Father. You want us to come to you with joy. You want us to come to you, Father, with anticipation, seeing you, being excited to be before you, Father. Thank you that you teach us, Father, wisdom through humility in our children. And Father, right now, I ask that you would continue to grow that within them, Father, that they would be humble, that they would be eager, Father, that they would be yearning, Father, after uh, after just, just you, and, and um, that you would cultivate that within them. Thank you so much, Father, for every single child here. I see you just bless them and grow them, Father. Every single child that's, that's in the womb, every single child, Father, that's, that's yet to, that to come. And Father, we just thank you so much for the blessing upon blessing that you give us. We look to you today, Father, as our Father, as our eternal King, and we praise you, Father. And may our hearts be the same way. We praise you now. Thank you for this Sabbath day. We commit it to you in Yeshua's mighty name. Amen. Shabbat Shalom, everyone. The Torah portion for this week is entitled Va'era, which comes from us, in, comes to us in Exodus chapter six, starting at verse two, and extends uh, through chapter nine of Exodus. Our Torah portion this week gives us the first seven plagues of Egypt of Moses going in before Pharaoh and making God known to all of the Egyptians. The part that I want to focus on this morning comes from the beginning of our Torah portion. See, what happened in last week's story is Moses went in before Pharaoh, told him to let the children of Israel go, to which Pharaoh refused, to which God said that's exactly what was going to happen. And then he told the children of Israel to make bricks without straw. And then the Hebrews that were enslaved in Egypt, they weren't really happy with Moses after that. And so he became uh, abhorrent in their eyes. He was rejected by the children of Israel, the Hebrews, his own people, after he's doing what God has commanded him to do to help the situation. And what God then does in the beginning of our Torah portion in chapter 6 is he's reminding Moses who he is as God, that he is God, that he has made covenant with his forefathers, with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob. We don't really know how much of this Moses already knew. Moses grew up in the household of Pharaoh, but but he knew he was Hebrew. And so we wondered, did did he know all the stories, all all of everything God had done through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob? Was, Was that knowledge to Moses? We believe he learned it over time. Perhaps his father-in-law Jethro was the one that told him about it. It was, it was the stories of the time that he would have known that God had made covenant with his father Abraham. The part of these words that I'm going to read a little bit of, I want to home in on truly what it means to be in covenant with God. God spoke to Moses saying, I am the Lord. That's his memorial name, yod heh vav Some pronounce it Yahweh. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, Yahweh, I was not known to them. 
I have also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage, in which they were strangers. And I have also heard their groaning, the groaning of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians keep in bondage. And I have remembered my covenant. See, because the children of Israel, while they're enslaved in Egypt, they're groaning, they're moaning, they think God has forgotten them. That what is this... Why are we enslaved? I thought that our father Abraham was in covenant with God. I thought, I thought all these blessings would come after we have this relationship, this covenant with God. And so they moaned, and I'm sure many of them probably thought that God had forsaken them, forgotten them. But that's not what God does. God remembers his covenant. And this isn't just any other kind of relationship that we kind of know and think to believe. See, when it comes to the biblical definition of covenant, God forms a relationship with a person or with somebody, and that relationship and his love and the benefits and blessings of that relationship extend through a thousand generations. That he will maintain that covenant with the descendants of him that he made covenant with, and then they receive all of those same blessings and those same benefits. That's what it truly means to be in covenant and what a real relationship should be. And he remembers that relationship. We live in a world today where we don't form relationships like that. We don't build the bonds and we don't follow the example that God gave to us on what a covenant and what a relationship should be. Instead, you know, we form relationships and bonds and friendships, but those break over time. And even if you meet the, the, the child or the grandchild of somebody that you once had a relationship with, do we suddenly form that bond? Do we have that same, the same benefits of that relationship, that covenant that we made with their family member? Do we really extend those benefits to that person as well? Not really. We don't build relationships like that in the world today. But that's what God did, and that's the way that he established those relationships. And he will remember that covenant. It says in Leviticus 26, verse 42, that after all has said and done as far as the children of Israel and all the sins and all the iniquities that they committed, if their descendants will confess the sins of their forefathers, that he will remember again his covenant. And that's a message to us, the descendants of the ancients. That if we confess our iniquities and our sins, that he will remember his covenant with our forefathers and we will have the same benefits of that covenant, same as Abraham did. Same as Isaac, same as Jacob, same as Joseph, same as King David. If we confess our iniquities, if we repent of the sins that we have committed, God will remember his covenant. Do you think that the same part of our brain, the same way that we remember something, is also the same part of our brain that forgets something too? So if God remembers his covenant then does he forget as well? Actually, he does. Because it says in Isaiah 43, at verse 26, 25, it says that he will blot out our transgressions from under heaven, and he will not remember our sins. He will forget our transgressions, forget our sins, and that is what true forgiveness is. So even though we've made mistakes, God will remember his covenant, remember his relationship that he has with us, and will forget the mistakes and the wrongdoings that we've done. 
However, in the world today, you ever heard the phrase forgive and forget? It's actually kind of downplayed. It's kind of like people don't do that. Whenever somebody has been wronged by another person, when we say, oh, well, they, they apologized, and oh, well, well, I forgave them, but then it's almost like it's a negative thing to say, oh, but well, I'll, I'll forgive and forget what you did. It's like nobody does that. Well, forgiveness, the definition of forgiveness today is like, oh, well, I forgave them, but I'm not going to forget what they did. I'll still pull that back out. I'll still hold that against them when it's convenient and when it's necessary. And the thing that we instead choose to, that, so we choose to remember the wrongdoings of our fellow brethren, and we choose to forget the relationships and the covenants that we have with them. How many times does that happen with a family member, a loved one, a child, an uncle, a brother, that once they've wronged you, if they've done something wrong, if they've hurt you and harmed you, and then they've apologized and you forgive them, what do we really do? We remember the way that they wronged us. And then we pretty much put it upon them to build back up the trust and the relationship once again, that's not the biblical definition of how it works. If you're in covenant with somebody, if they are a family member, then you have a covenant that is supposed to be remembered because of that relationship that was formed, that bond that you have between a fellow brother. What we do in this world today, individually and personally, with one another, is the exact opposite of the way God does it and the way he did it before. We forget the covenant relationships that we have and remember the transgressions and everything wrong that anybody ever did to us. But instead what God does is he remembers the covenant that he has with us. He will not forget that. And he forgets our transgressions when we've confessed our iniquities. That's the true definition of a covenant relationship. And God's reminding Moses of that in this story. The world is trying to distort constantly and change what God has done. We have the, the, the spiritual principle, principles of covenant, of repentance, of forgiveness that are defined by the scripture are completely skewed in the world today. Forgiveness means you don't forget when according to the Bible it actually does. True forgiveness. And repentance, true repentance, is a confession of wrongdoing and a commitment and an action to not do it again. But in this day and age, we ask for apologies, which give no guarantee that somebody's not going to wrong you again. But that's always what we want. I want them to apologize for what they did. And then what are you going to do with it? You're going to continue to remember they wronged you, and nothing changes. May I submit that we should commit to the spiritual principles and constructs that are defined by the Bible in the areas of covenant, in the areas of repentance, in the areas of forgiveness, and not keep having this grade school playground, what the world decides forgiveness and apologies really are. God gives us the example of how to do it. So when we look at our fellow brother, our fellow neighbor, let us remember the covenants and the relationships that we have with them. And when it comes to the wrongs that have been done to us, 
Let us show true repentance and action to not commit those same mistakes again. And when we forgive our brother, may we truly forgive them to maintain the relationship and the covenant that we have and move forward. And maybe it takes the Lord to lay upon our hearts and our minds to truly forget the wrongs and the hurts and the pains that have come upon us. That is the testimony of people who have overcome hardships. They live their life as if the things that have been wrong and wrong done to them didn't happen. Of all the people that have come out of hardships growing up in, in households or relationships and, and wrongs and abuses that they have come out of, when the success stories come, when they come out of that, it's an act of God that they are able to spiritually move on beyond that. And when you ask them about that, their testimony is they live as if it didn't even happen. That is what we have to remember with all of the wrongs and all of the traumas and all of the things that have been done to us. And maybe it takes the Lord to cause us to forget those things. But it is in those ways that we are truly forgiven of the mistakes that we've made and we forgive others as the Lord has forgiven us. Amen? Heavenly Father, we come before you on the Sabbath day. We thank you. We praise you, Lord. For this congregation, this fellowship, these people, everyone here, Father, for the honor and blessing that it is to have this facility, to worship your name in peace and in freedom, to hear your words and your instructions. Father, I pray that it would always be your words and your teaching, Lord, that would encourage us and strengthen us in our lives. As we keep your commandments, Lord, as we keep your Sabbaths and your festivals, Lord, and show loving kindness to our neighbors. Father, I pray that you bless us as we keep your commandments, observe your commandments, and do your commandments, your statutes, your ordinances. May we always recommit that effort on our part, on our, in our lives, Lord, to do those things, Lord. Not to just observe them as they go by or to follow them as if to be catching up and playing, following after something all the time. Lord, may we always look to you following you so that we can stand side by side and walk uprightly before you. We love you and bless you and thank you for this congregation once again, for the ble- all the blessings you pour out upon us. May our prayers be a sweet incense in your nostrils. Father, we give you all honor, glory, and the praise in this place, and it's in your son Yeshua that we pray. Amen. Shabbat shalom. Amen. Thank you, Ephraim. Shabbat shalom, everyone. Uh, before we get into the uh, teaching today, um, we're a family, right? I mean, that's in the name and everything. We, we consider ourselves family, right? Um, so as a result, um, we're going to have a little, just a little bit of family business here for just a moment, okay? Uh, and for that meeting, I'm going to sit down, okay? All right, so uh, we don't uh, often talk about finances here. Um, you know, the last time we did was about a year ago. We don't, uh, you know, dwell on it. We don't teach on tithing. We don't, uh, you know, focus on giving. We don't make a big deal out of it. The Lord has always been gracious to us, meets all of our needs. Um, We, in fact, this past year, uh, we've been able to meet all of our needs. We were able to pay for this facility. And, of course, none of us earns any kind of a salary. We don't take any kind of uh, pay or anything of that nature. It's all volunteer. Um, I'm bringing this up because... You know, our, our plan, as we expressed last year, and I won't get into the details while the live stream is going because the Internet doesn't need to know our business, but 
um, we, we expressed to you, you know, what our goals were financially, where we wanted to be. And um, while the Lord's been very gracious and allowed us to meet all of our needs, we're at the very same place we are right now that we were last year when we shared those, those visions. Um, and the reason I bring it up is because we have some needs that have sprung up. Um, the tables that we enjoy our own egg at, they're literally falling apart. Uh, we really are in need of replacing those. The vacuum that we use to clean things up is falling apart as well. We, we need to replace the, that. There's things that have come up that we really need to invest in. And while we haven't made any ground, we haven't lost any ground, um, this is just an appeal to you to keep those things in mind. And if the Lord would impress upon you in any fashion to you know, maybe provide for those needs, then, then fantastic. And that's about all the talk we're going to have about finances for about the next year, okay? And we're just going to rely upon the Father to be uh, our provider for us, okay? Does that sound fair? All right, thank you. So, that said, uh, this week's readings, of course, uh, Ephraim gave us a synopsis of, of Vieira. Um, in order to really understand uh, what happens in this week's readings, though, we really need to back up. And we need to look at last week's readings. And there's a reason, because in order to understand where, of course, the word Vaira means, and he appeared, um, in order to understand where, why the Lord appears to Moshe in this uh, week's readings, we have to take a look at what happened in just the last chapter, in chapter 5 of Exodus. It says in verses 6 through 9, So the same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters over the people and their foremen. Now, why would Pharaoh do this? Because... If you read in chapter 5, Moshe and Aharon go to Pharaoh and they say, the Lord has said, let my people go. Pharaoh says, oh really? Uh, Here's what we're going to do. And he says, you are no longer to give the people straw to make brick as previously. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the quota of bricks which, which, which they were making previously, you shall impose on them. You are not to reduce any of it because they're lazy. Therefore they cry out, let us go sacrifice to our Elohim. Let their labor be heavier on the men and let them work at it so that they will, no, uh, they will pay no attention to these false words. In other words, the words that Moshe and Aharon brought to Pharaoh. And then as we move into verse 21 of chapter 5, it says, the reaction of the people. So Moshe and Aharon approach Pharaoh and they say, thus says the Lord, let my people go. Pharaoh says, oh yeah? You guys are just lazy. How about you do this? And I'm going to put harder restrictions on you. And the people then in verse 21 come to Moshe and to Aaron. They said to them, May Aaronai look upon you, Moshe and Aaron, and judge you. For you have made us odious in Pharaoh's sight and in the sight of his servants to put a sword in their hand to kill us. So this is the atmosphere in which we find then the Lord comes to Moshe. Okay, And it says further there, of course, chapter 6, verse 2 is where we start off. And it says, and the Lord came to Moshe and said, these are the things that you're to do. And Moshe says, wait a minute, you know, look at the, look, look what's happened. And then in verse 9, it says, so Moshe spoke thus to the sons of Israel, but they did not listen to Moshe on account of their despondency and cruel bondage. In other words, Moshe, you're discredited. You went up there and tried to represent us. And now look what's happened. Now our lives are worse than they were before. So Adonai instructs Moshe to go back to Pharaoh when the people won't listen and announce that there's going to be consequences if he does not let the Hebrews go. 
And so then we see that there's these series of plagues, and that's what takes us through the rest of the readings this week. Is it all about these plagues that start? And of course we know we're approaching that time of year when we're going to have Passover in the next couple of months. And when that time comes, we recount the story of all the, the ten different plagues and what happened, and it was all to the glory of Adonai. But we see that there's something very interesting happens here. In chapter 8, in verses 22 and 23, there's a distinction that's made. Talking about the, the plague of flies, which is the fourth plague. It says, But on that day I will set apart the land of Goshen, where my people are living, so that no swarm of flies will be there, in order that you may know that I, Adonai, am in the midst of the land. I will put a division between my people and your people. Tomorrow this sign will occur. So we see that there's a distinction that's made in chapter 8 between the children of Israel living in Goshen and the rest of Egypt. Now, the question that should automatically arise, and maybe some of you will disagree with me on this, and that's perfectly fine, but why is this distinction not made till the fourth plague? That suggests to me, because the distinction is made there, that the children of Israel, and when we read children of Israel, we should read, we suffered through the first three plagues along with Egypt. That's what the suggestion is here. The blood, the frogs, and the gnats, there's no distinction made. Nowhere does it say these things won't happen in Goshen. But every plague from here on out, from number four on, it says these things will not happen to my people so that you will see the distinction. So this is a very interesting concept here that it would seem, at least the suggestion, can't be dogmatic about it. I could be wrong. But it would lead me to believe that the first three plagues we suffered through. Okay? In my opinion, it's one of the many examples in Scripture where this pattern is laid out. This pattern is that freedom, release, and victory only come after extremely grueling and or difficult times. Now we know this principle voiced as several different popular mottos and cliches in our day. For instance, no pain, no gain, right? We're familiar with that phrase. Uh, another one is nothing worth having comes easy. And then you've got the vice versa of that. Easy come, easy go. In other words, those things that are easy to acquire... They're also easy to lose. And it's no big loss. But those things that you really have to work hard at, those are the things that are valuable. You see, when you have something that's valuable, like freedom, like deliverance from bondage, this takes effort. It takes intense labor. Okay? It, for instance, a marriage your job. These things, if you, we just take them hap, you know, haphazard and, and, and very lackadaisical, then they're not going to succeed. But if we apply ourselves, and in our marriages or in our, in our jobs, if we are applying ourselves in such a way that we're working to get better in those areas, in those avenues, then guess what happens? They're worth much more because they become very valuable. And, and we see that we succeed in those areas. Why? Because we've taken the time, the effort, the energy to invest in that. But if we don't, if we just sit back and say, 
Yeah, I already got the job I wanted. Don't need to improve. And just sail through life. Um, not only will we not accomplish what we really set out to do, um, but someone else is going to come up and they're going to be working harder. They're going to take our job. Same thing in marriage. If we just say, well, I'm already married. Don't need to work on it anymore. Got that, spouse. Check. Uh, no, no, it doesn't work that way. Try it. It won't work out that way. Okay? So we, the reality here is that sometimes we have to experience pain. And that takes place sometimes even in those scenarios. In marriage, sometimes there's pain. In your job, sometimes you don't get the position you wanted, even though you've worked hard for it. Sometimes you get passed over, whatever the case may be. Sometimes we have to experience pain in order to learn a lesson that we will need to draw upon at a later time. Sometimes we need to fall down in order to get back up and grow even stronger through that falling down experience and what it taught us. See, Adonai, his economy is upside down. At least that's our perspective. Problem is, we're the ones on our heads. Okay? What I mean by that is this. So his economy is different than what we would normally logically ascertain. Okay? Sometimes we need to lose in order to gain. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 and 25, Then Yeshua said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That doesn't make sense. How are we going to find our lives by losing it? And if we seek to save our life, we're going to lose it anyway? That doesn't make sense, except that it makes sense in his rules, which is what we are fighting against in our flesh, accepting in our lives. Okay? You see, beauty is born from pain. Labor. It's an extremely painful process. So, this picture that we have up here, um, you know, I, I had, I had uh, sent several picture options and Chris selected this picture because he went back into Stephen's modeling career and um, found, uh, found the right picture. No, that's not Stephen, but boy, it sure looks like him, doesn't it? Uh, <laughs> uh, so, labor, it's an extremely painful process. Now, as a man, you know, as Chris pointed out earlier, what do I know about labor? Um, I, I can come close to it. Now, uh, yes, it's, it's not the same. But 14 years ago, I was in the hospital. I had herniated the lowest disc in my back. And I was having spasms so strong that it was jacking my knees up to my chest. I was in the hospital for four hours. While I was there, they gave me two doses of morphine and two doses of muscle relaxers. And I was still screaming when my mom picked me up at the hospital to put me in the car. And the nurse told my mother, never seen anyone still screaming in pain like that after two, two rounds of both. Okay, so I can sort of identify with what a woman goes through during this process. Now, this was all centralized in my lower back area, not everywhere else and in more sensitive spots, okay? But, but I, can, I can sort of, to a certain extent, relate to what a woman goes through in labor having experienced that because that was the most painful moments of my life. 
Now, this pattern that we have where pain births beauty is actually laid out from the very beginning, pun fully intended. Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. It says, to the woman, and this is Adonai speaking, he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you will bring forth children, yet your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Okay? In other words, bringing forth children is going to be something that's painful, and yet you're still going to want to be with that husband that gives you those children. See, the pain isn't going to deter you from becoming pregnant because you know what's past that because beauty is born from the pain. You see, the Master warned us that these extremely grueling and difficult times are the precursor for His kingdom arriving here on earth. It says in Matthew chapter 24, the big chapter, right? Matthew chapter 24, this is the sign that everything's coming, everything's going down. It says in verses 6 through 8, you will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. Right? That's our times, right? We hear all these wars. There's some hundred something wars on the planet right now. Okay? See that you are not frightened for these things must take place, but that is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom and in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. We're pretty familiar with that here. But all these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. Merely the beginning of birth pangs. Now, this word um, that occurs in our uh, English translations, pangs, uh, this isn't exactly a word that we use in our normal vocabulary, okay? And you really don't see it any, even in Scripture outside of this very context. Well, I understand what a birth pain is, but what's a birth pang, okay? Uh, it's not a normal word we use, so I had to look it up. And uh, it says, a sudden feeling of mental or emotional distress or longing. The example is a pang of remorse or a pang of desire, Something that you suddenly feel intensely, okay? Um, Also, a sudden, brief, sharp pain or physical sensation such as a spasm. I know that one. Uh, And the example they give is a hunger pang. Like, all of a sudden, you feel very hungry, okay? So, this, this word pang, it essentially carries more than just pain. Because pain can be chronic, and it can be there all the time. This pang is something that's sharp and, and severe, sudden, okay? And so, in, in the master saying, look, when you see all these things, keep in mind, it's just the beginning. <laughs> oh, okay, awesome, right? So, something that comes upon you suddenly, and the example that's given is it's just the beginning. All these things are merely the beginning of these labor pains. This is going to be one of those long labors. Okay? Now, I can't really identify with that one. Um, you know, my wife was born to give birth. Okay? So, yes, we have six kids. And, yeah, okay, so I've experienced this a couple times. Um, what happens here with my wife, our longest labor was um, the girl sitting up there in the crow's nest who hates that I'm pointing her out right now. But our oldest, okay, uh, 17 and a half years ago, my wife had a whole eight hours of labor. 
Okay? That was our longest one. Um, number four, the nine-year-old. Um, beginning contraction to me catching baby because midwife wasn't there yet was 35 minutes. Okay? My wife shoots kids out like a cannon. Okay? And so, so uh, you know, I, I'm not familiar. We have friends that have been in labor for, you know, 24 to 48 hours. Okay? And I can't really identify with that, but that's essentially what's being spoken here by the master. He's like, look, this is one of those long ones, okay? It's going to be a while. You're going to be in some pain. So stick with it. Why? Because at the end of it, there's going to be a beautiful baby that's born. And that baby will transform your life because it's an amazing thing. Now, Messiah goes on to say that things will get worse from there. If you keep reading on in chapter 24, after he says this is just the beginning, he then goes on to list a whole bunch of other things that are even worse, okay? He speaks of persecution and death and betrayal and other horrific events that will take place. But we also know that after all these things happen, he then describes how he will come riding on the clouds in glory with the blast of a trumpet declaring the yovel and setting the captives free from their bondage. This is the beauty that is birthed out of that pain. That's the pattern that we see in Scripture. Now Paul discusses this concept so eloquently in his letter to the church in Rome. In chapter 8, Verses 18 through 22, he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of Elohim. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will also be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of Elohim. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers with what? With the pains of childbirth together until now. You see, all of creation is going through this entire labor process with us. Because all of creation is also longing for that time when beauty will be brought forth and the kingdom will be in our midst. So I'll say it again. Beauty is born from pain. Ask any mother. All the ladies that have had children, was the pain worth it? Absolutely. Momentary pain. Temporary pain. And yet it brings forth a child that is a little version of you that reminds you in numerous wonderful and frustrating ways of our relationship with our Father. It's worth it. Paul speaks about how these labor pain scenarios play out in our everyday in his second letter to the church at Corinth in chapter 4, verses 17 through 18. For momentary light affliction... Paul calls all of our troubles momentary light affliction. Thanks for the patronism, Paul. 
For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. It is in this mindset that we can finally understand the words of James, the brother of Yeshua, when he said in his opening words of his letter, to consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, several interesting things there. Number one, James opens up his letter by first identifying himself, James, a bondservant of Messiah. Then he says, hello, greetings to all. And then he immediately launches into this admonition. By the way, you know all those struggles you're going through with? Celebrate! What? Because James is tapped into the fact that Adonai's economy is the opposite of what we consider logically. See, we wouldn't celebrate our trials, our tribulations, our struggles. But James reminds us, no, they're there specifically to produce something in you which is beautiful. This is how important this concept was. Now further, James uses the phrase perfect and complete, lacking in nothing to describe the result of this endurance. Now this word, of course, James would have been someone who would have been very familiar with Hebrew, okay? likely spoke Aramaic, which is a very close cousin of Hebrew. But I guarantee that when he first penned this, the words that he used probably, more than likely, was the word tom. Okay? This word tom. No, it's not, not my uncle Tom. Um, there's there's uh, this word tom, okay? You see it replete through scripture. In fact, we first see it in, Je- in Genesis chapter 17, 1. It says, now, when Avram was 99 years old, Adonai appeared to Avram and said to him, Ani El Shaddai, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be Tom. Now, the NASB renders it as blameless. I believe the King James renders it as perfect. Okay? Walk before me and be blameless, spotless, complete, lacking in nothing. This word is also used in, uh, to describe Noah. In Genesis chapter 6, verses 9, these are the records of the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man at Sadiq. Blameless Tom in his time. Noah walked with Elohim. Now, you think there's not a connection there? He walked with Elohim. Thus, he becomes a tzaddik, righteous and blameless, perfect, complete, lacking nothing. This same word is used to describe the lamb that was to be selected for the Passover sacrifice. Exodus chapter 12, verse 5. Your lamb shall be an unblemished male. That word unblemished is tam. A year old, you may take it from the sheep or the goats. It was the same phrase that Peter used to describe the one whom the Passover lamb pointed to when he said, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless. Tom, the blood of Messiah, 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. It is this Messiah who will escort us into his kingdom, which as described in the book of Revelation, chapter 22, is a beautiful city 
where there is no pain, no anguish, no more labor. It will be there that he will wipe away every tear. It will be in that kingdom that the struggles, the pain, the difficulties that we're currently going through will be birthed in the form of beauty and release and freedom. In the same way that the children of Israel were delivered from their hard labor and led into freedom and blessing, so will our lives reflect this pattern if we are willing to submit ourselves to those trials that he brings our way, knowing and recognizing that they're there for a function and a purpose. So let us keep in mind as we labor, yes, labor over our difficulties the things in our lives that challenge us, that he's using these pains, these challenges to shape us and ultimately to birth something beautiful. May we hear from him in those moments, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you so much for your word and how the message runs through it in harmony. Your word does not contradict itself, for it is a perfect expression of your will for our lives. And we thank you for those instructions that guide us and lead us into paths where we, like Noah, might be referred to as tzaddik, as righteous. Father, may we also, in the steps of our fathers, Noah and Avram and Yaakov, be known as being Tom. Tamim people, being complete and lacking in nothing. But Father, we know that first we must submit ourselves to those trials you will bring our way to shape us, to mold us into your image. May we be people who, as it says from your lips, people that deny ourselves and take up our cross daily. May we seek to lose our lives that we may find it in you. Father, we surrender our lives to you and we pray these things in the name of your Son, Yeshua. Amen. Amen. If we could all rise, please. And the Lord spoke in motion and said, Tell Aaron and his sons, this is the way you shall bless the children of Israel." Yivarechecha Adonai Vaishmarecha Yaheh Panavilecha vichunecha Yisadonai Panavilecha Vayasim lecha Lecha Shalom. 
Bashim Yeshuk HaMashiach, Sarcha Shalom, Shalom. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of Yeshua the Messiah, the Prince of Peace, Shalom. Thank you.